It used to be that pastors were revered. In the 18th, 19th centuries, whenever a, a poll was taken of the most respected people, pastors always ranked number one. Not anymore. Uh, today, when you see a pastor on a television show or a movie, chances are over 50% that they're, gonna, they're being laughed at or mocked. I, I'm sensitive to this. I look for it. Um, when did this all begin? Uh, it may have been during the Vietnam War uh, years. Uh, we had a mandatory draft at that point. We didn't need everybody, uh, so they did a lottery. And uh, many people, in order to avoid the draft, signed up to go to seminary. Uh, and so suddenly our seminaries were filled with people that made no claim to follow Christ. Some didn't even believe in God. And the public was disgusted. It could have been it happened when uh, televangelists were making tearful pleas for funds, and then we found out that they were living in luxury. Or it could have been when Catholic uh, priests were found to be abusing acolytes, young children, uh, or pastors uh, caught in some sexual misconduct. Uh, that distrust of clergy has now spread to all Christians. If you're not a follower of Christ, it could be that you distrust Christians. You may feel Christians are judgmental or hypocritical. In such an environment, it's easy for followers of Christ to withdraw and keep quiet about their faith. How can we serve Christ when it seems like we're starting at a disadvantage? Uh, this is the sixth in a series of messages called Being a Minister for Christ, based on the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy has been appointed as the pastor of Ephesus, the largest church in the, in the world at the time. He's barely 30 years old. He feels inadequate. The Apostle Paul writes to him from his prison cell in Rome. Paul knows he's about to be martyred, and so he wants to pass as much good advice as possible on to Timothy, on how Timothy can carry on the mission with Jesus. All people who follow Christ, whether you're a teenager, single, married, widowed, divorced, are called to be on mission with Jesus. Uh, this book written to, to Timothy is written to all of us on how we can make an impact in this world. So far, Paul has told Timothy that he should expect things to be difficult. He will face opposition. He'll be tempted to quit but he must endure. Uh, we must develop endurance to be on mission with Jesus. How can we avoid giving up? How can we not go silent about Christ with our families, our work associates, our classmates, our neighbors? Uh, how can we develop endurance in serving Christ? Paul suggests three ways. One, develop endurance by paying attention to your mentor's teaching. We all have mentors. I would point to my mom and dad, uh, a pastor, uh, the pastor of our church when I was in middle school and high school, my young life leader when I was in high school. I can uh, think of three professors when I was in seminary uh, that were mentors to me. The most famous one was John Stott. 
And then when I began as a pastor, I asked lots of questions of pastors who had been in the, in the work for a while. And since I've begun this church the last nine years, uh, I can count several board members who have mentored me. Paul says, look to your mentors. Remember what they teach you. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. Paul says, you've watched my life. Now do as I have done. Uh, To the Corinthians, he writes, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Uh, Paul uh, was not claiming to be perfect, uh, but he had devoted himself to following Christ. And so he told Timothy, follow my example. None of us is perfect. We all make make mistakes. Uh, We tend to think that we're doing better than we really are. A pastor... uh, uh, After the service one day, a a woman came up to him and says, you are one of the finest preachers in our day. Well, he got in his car after the services, feeling 12 feet high. He got home and he said to his wife, Mrs. Johnson says, I'm one of the finest preachers of our day. She didn't say anything. Then he said, you know, I wonder how many great preachers there are today. And she said, one less than you think. Our spouses bring us back to reality. What matters in preaching is not making a sermon and delivering it. It's making a life and living it. Paul tells Timothy to follow his example. As he pays attention to Paul's life, he'll gain endurance. Paul goes on. Persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, and all these places? He was beaten and thrown into prison. The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Now, we've found this throughout this book. Paul has to do his part. He endured difficult days, and God did his part. He rescued him. He gave Paul his Holy Spirit and resurrection power. Difficulties and oppositions are part of being a follower of Christ. Let me just uh, walk through with you how the apostles' lives ended. All but one of them uh, died as a martyr. Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. I'll just say that uh, we're pretty certain about all of these, but we can't be absolutely certain what happened. But this, to the best of our knowledge, uh, this is what happened. Peter was crucified in Rome. Paul was beheaded in Rome. Andrew was crucified in Russia. Thomas was pierced by spears east of Syria. Philip was cruelly put to death in Asia Minor. That's where Ephesus was. Bartholomew was martyred in Arabia. James was stoned to death in Syria. Simon the Zealot was killed in Persia. Matthias is the one who replaced Judas, was burned to death in Syria. John was the one disciple who was not martyred, but he was cast into boiling oil in Rome and survived. Now, these last four are not 
the original 12 disciples, but their famous uh, people, Mark, wrote a gospel, dragged through the streets to death in Alexandria. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. Jude, Jesus' half-brother, shot with arrows. Barnabas, Paul's partner, stoned to death in Salonika. You say, well, thank goodness things aren't as bad today as they were back then. I don't know about that. Last century, under Mao Zedong, the Chinese Communist Party, in the 1960s, during the Cultural Revolution, we estimate 60 million Chinese lost their life or are starved. Under Joseph Stalin, the Russian Communist Party, 30 million lost their lives in the Russian Gulag. Under Adolf Hitler, Nazi Party, 10 million, most of them Jews, lost their lives. Pol Pot, Cambodian Communist Party, 4 million. Critics of the Christian faith will say Christianity is the biggest problem in our world today. Religious people. And they'll point to the Inquisition and the Crusades. Well, the Inquisition and Crusades were bad. But in the Inquisition, the Sorians, the highest number they picked for how many were killed by the, in, in the Inquisition was 32,000. And many historians think that number was far less. Those were Jews, Muslims, and Protestants put to death. In the Crusades, Crusades were really hard to count. It was... <coughs> It was 200-year period. You can't count the number of deaths. I mean, you take uh, like World War II, it started, it ended. You can count how many people lost their lives. But a 200-year period, very hard. Estimates range from 1 million to 9 million. Most historians think the lower number is more accurate. So there you have it. About a million people were killed through the Inquisition and the Crusades, and 104 million were killed last century under atheist regimes alone. So Paul continues, while evildoers and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, Paul tells uh, Timothy to endure, even though it seems like Evildoers are going from bad to worse. Paul tells Timothy to endure by noting how he endured under Nero and Herod. The first way we develop an endurance is by noticing our mentors and how they endured. I enjoy reading history and historical novels, and I'm inspired by people who went before us, how they endured. The second way to develop endurance is by continuing in what you have learned from the Scriptures. We're to continue on what we learned from the Bible. So Paul writes to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. So he's to and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. So he learned first from his mother and his grandmother, 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, the purpose of the scriptures is to make us wise for salvation, is to lead us to salvation in Christ. And so the Old Testament foretells the coming of Christ. The Gospels tell us about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Acts tells us how the apostles took the gospel out to people all around the world. And then the epistles teach us how to live for Christ. And then the last book of the Bible tells us about the return of Christ. In our post-Christian world, it's easy to get worn out by the teaching of today. Easy to believe that there is no source of truth. But the Bible claims to be the only source of reliable truth in the world. In a world where we're taught that there is no right and wrong, you decide what's right, there is no God, the world just evolved on its own. Jesus is not the unique Son of God. He's a human like anybody else. It's easy to get confused about what's true. In a world where people can make a claim, even though it's not true, and the media will run with it, it's easy for us to not know what's true. But in the Bible, we hear from God, and whatever He says is true. Now, Paul writes in the most famous verse in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed. He says Scripture is breathed out from God. The Bible is God's words about Himself. The Bible is not a word about God. It's not just a word from God. The Bible is the Word of God. And since God never lies, it's totally reliable. The trustworthiness of the Bible is rooted in the fact that it is breathed out by God. It originated in the mind of God. While there are certainly other amazing qualities of Scripture, uh, being breathed out by God alone gives each word true and lasting significance. Uh, inspiration sets the Bible apart from any other book ever written in this world. In a world that grows more confusing every day, having a place where we can go for reliable guidance is a help to even the most confused among us. Now, you ask, how does God breathing out the Scripture work with the human writers actually writing it down? Did He blow through them like a flute, like blowing through their fingers onto the scrolls? No, the Apostle Peter tells us, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, in other words, no passage of Scripture, came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God did not uh, take away uh, the people's uh, individuality when they wrote the Scripture, their education, their personality. They were fully engaged as they wrote, but they were spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Biblical authority was a major issue for me. 
when, I came, when it came time for me to choose a seminary, I attended Lewis and Clark College. I studied Greek two years at Lewis and Clark. Uh, the classes weren't large. I was the only student. So it was one-on-one. And uh, all my professors at Lewis and Clark uh, did not believe that the Bible was inspired by God. They didn't believe Jesus is the Son of God or that he was raised from the dead. So it was a battle working through college. I had a number of friends who were as excited about Christ as I was, and they too were planning on becoming pastors. But when they chose a seminary, they chose places like Harvard and Yale and Vanderbilt and San Francisco Seminary, places where they uh, teach that the Bible is not inspired by God. It's a human document like any other. And Jesus was not raised from the dead. He's not the Son of God. So my friends have all washed out of the ministry at this point. Some of them never even got into a church. Others have dropped out. I knew I was going to be serving in a Presbyterian church uh, and uh, where many people didn't believe in the resurrection and the Bible being inspired by God. So it was important to me to choose a seminary that would give me a rock-solid foundation. So I chose Trinity in Chicago. Paul tells uh, Timothy, I'm sorry, uh, let me read the rest of that, this famous, most famous verse. No, you're fine, go forward. Uh, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that's the purpose of God giving us the Bible. Uh, Its overall purpose is to lead us to salvation in Christ. Uh, We develop endurance by paying attention to our mentor's teaching, by continuing in what we learn from the Scriptures, and third, we develop endurance by preparing what to say to people. Uh, so, if somebody asks you, what, what do you believe? Why do you follow Christ? What do you say? Paul knew that his ministry was coming to an end. He was going to be martyred. And he knew what was at stake. He knew that Timothy might be tempted to just wing it in talking to people. But Paul knew that you have to do careful preparation on what you're going to say. So, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy... Now, notice how formal this is. It's like, listen up, Timothy. What I'm going to say is very important. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. He said, Timothy, these are some of the most important words you're ever going to hear me say to you. So he goes on. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. He's saying, Timothy, be prepared at all times. Always be ready if somebody asks you, why do you believe in Christ? Now, if you're going (coughs) to tell someone why, first you have to understand what you believe. So here's the gospel. First of all, God created us. Then we have sinned against God. 
then God loves us and sent his son to die for us. Then God raised Jesus from the dead. And we can experience forgiveness in life if we put our faith in Christ. Uh, if you've never told God that you believe this, you can tell him that uh, as we pray in just a moment. We also get prepared by rehearsing our story. Each one of us has a story, how we grew up, how we first figured out that we sinned against God, when we first learned about Christ and maybe gave our life to Christ, how Jesus has worked in our lives. We think through our story so we're prepared to share it. And I want to give you an example today. So this is John Witherspoon. John, uh, I first met John about uh, four years ago and when he started coming here. And I have learned over time that he has a very interesting story. Hey, good morning. Uh, as I was thinking about preparing for this, I was realizing that as we look back on our lives, we all have made uh, really significant decisions that just, um, you know, are like a river and just go through our lives for years and, and decades. And one of mine was the decision to leave home at the age of 16. Uh, it was not a difficult decision, but certainly led to a very winding path of danger and regrettable circumstances but eventually a positive outcome. So here's the backstory. Beginning at the age of 14, I lost interest in school and began uh, abusing mm -hmm. alcohol. I was regular, regularly appearing before uh, uh, a judge for some of my uh, misbehavior. I'm not gonna go into all the misbehavior other than to say that uh, driving that stolen Mustang was really a lot of fun until I got caught. You're a bad dude. <laughs> Still am. Uh, there were additional behaviors, and I became classified as a juvenile delinquent. My last appearance before the judge resulted in him declaring to me that if I came to court again, I was going to juvenile detention. Um, little did he know that I was already scheduled for another court appearance for some other violations and arrests. So uh, I could either face juvenile detention or I could leave the state and live on my own. So I packed a suitcase and hitchhiked from Florida to South Carolina and moved in with a, a janitorial family I met. Uh, the owner of this company had uh, seen me hiding behind a dumpster at about 3 a.m. one morning as I was hiding from the police. And uh, he motioned me in, he took me into this restaurant he was cleaning, fed me, uh, just really took me in. And I lived with his family for several months. Uh, but being a restless soul, I then launched out to explore the country, and uh, these were the years 1968 uh, through uh, 1972. Uh, I quickly discovered the drug culture that was raging through the country at the time and found a whole, a whole new uh, menu of uh, substance abuse. Uh, also, I had to deal with the draft. Uh, unlike Ron going to seminary, I found an alternative, and that was to burn my draft card and just drop out of society where nobody could find me. Uh, uh, enough of that story. Uh, anyway, various short-term jobs and uh, some other criminal activity sustained the lifestyle of uh, variously living on the streets and uh, hippie communes. But during that time, even though I was doing all the things I wanted to do, I just really uh, began to question my life and what it was about. I was very depressed, even uh, starting to consider suicide. 
Uh, I was raised in a non-Christian home, so I had none of those uh, tools. In fact, I was told there was no God, so that wasn't even an alternative for me. Uh, but in 1972, I was hitchhiking from San Francisco to eastern Washington. Uh, those were the days of the Jesus people or Jesus freak movement where a strong Christian revival was occurring uh, among young people that were in the uh, counterculture, drug culture, whatever you call it. Uh, two leaders of a particular uh, Jesus freak network of churches picked me up and gave me a ride to Richland, Washington, where they allowed me to stay in their facility. The next morning, I was approached by a, a young man who just walked up to me and asked if I was saved. I said no, and he invited me to accept Christ and become a Christian. I thought to myself, well, I've tried just about everything else. Uh, I can do this for a couple of weeks, and they'll house me and feed me for free. What's wrong with that? So uh, I, I told the young man, yes, I would like to become a Christian. And uh, so I prayed as sincerely as I could at that time and I became a Christian. Uh, that first year was a tremendous struggle as I was being transformed out of the drug and counterculture, but God worked with me, and in that same year, I met Esther, and uh, we married. So uh, fast forward 50 years, and we are now the proud parents of uh, four wonderful children, three fantastic children-in-laws, and the five fabulous grandchildren. So in closing, I'd like to just share with you that one of the best things for me about Christianity was the removal of fear. Uh, I, I just, my life is really transformed from being a person that was given to fear and negativity to uh, almost dangerously fearless. Uh, uh, and just as an example, last year I had four major illnesses, uh, including cancer and COVID. Uh, any one of those four could have taken me out Yet going through that experience, uh, I won't say it was a breeze, but I had a sense of peace through most of it. I had a sense of joy. In fact, uh, when I was getting my cancer treatment, I would uh, you know, joke around with the other people that were waiting for their treatments. Uh, turns out that not everybody with cancer has a sense of humor. Hmm. Who knew? But uh, uh, I'd joke around with people and just help them get out of that zone of negativity that's very natural to get when you get cancer. So it's just a, a joy and a peace that's come into my life and uh, has allowed me to deal with difficult situations and uh, just that removal of fear. So uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. Thanks, John. Thank you so much, John. That's an amazing story. Now, just like John, you may have wandered far from God. And you uh, can give your life to, to Christ uh, when we pray in just a few minutes. Like John, you have to think through your story. What is it? What would you say if somebody asked you why you follow Christ? Paul goes on, uh, correct, rebuke, and encourage. He says some people you're supposed to correct, some you're supposed to rebuke. You say, hey man, you've gone off the track. Others, you're supposed to encourage. You say, hey, don't give up. With great patience and careful instruction, with everyone, we're to be patient. Making a decision to follow Christ is a big deal. You have to be patient with other people. Paul goes on, for the time will come 
when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Isn't that what we do today? We gather around us people who will say what we want to hear. But Paul says to Timothy, but you. I haven't mentioned it before, but this is the third time he uses this phrase in this letter to Timothy. Sudeth. But you. Others are doing this, but you. Don't do that. But you... Keep your head in all situations. Things are wildly out of control, but don't lose your head. Endure hardship. Things may get tough, but don't quit. Do the work of an evangelist. Be ready to share your story when anybody asks you. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Be on mission with Jesus everywhere you go with family, classmates, friends, co-workers. Serving Christ is not easy. We must develop endurance to be on mission with Jesus. We develop endurance by paying attention to our mentors. We develop endurance by paying attention to what the Bible teaches. And we develop endurance by preparing ahead of time what we say to people. If you're not certain, there's a name tag with your name on it in heaven. You can make sure today by giving your life to Christ as we pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this letter that the Apostle Paul sends to Timothy, encouraging him to be on mission with Jesus. And we want to be on mission with you this week. And so we commit, recommit ourselves to doing that. And if you have never given your life to Christ, you can tell him right now. You believe he's the son of God. He was raised from the dead and you want him in your life. And if you want to be on mission with Jesus this week, tell him that right now. You pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you not only created us and gave us good minds, but you loved us to send your son to die for our sins, to take our place, pay our penalty for us, so that we can have a renewed relationship with you.